Hi, everyone. Scott St. Marie here, strategic advisor for CannabisAndPsychosis.ca, sitting down with Harrison, who has has quite the story when it comes to cannabis and psychosis. Harrison, how are you doing? Great. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, so so I, I re- I'm really curious. You know, it's definitely hard to share uh, a story when it comes to, you know, a, a mental health, uh, mental health issue. So what's kind of going through your mind right now that you're so open and able to share something like this? Why, why would you like to share this with people? I mean, like, I think experience can be knowledge. And in one way, I have nothing to share in the sense that I'm just, you know, your average person who's had an experience. Um, but on the other hand, like some people, you know, might not have been exposed to what I've kind of seen in some ways. And then in other ways, I think that, you know, I might be able to, I'm doing, I'm living much differently now than I was previously. So in that way, I have some form of strategy, some types of strategies to share on how to keep yourself well and, you know, stay good. And you're totally open to to sharing that with people, which is so honorable and admirable. And we, we all really appreciate that. So if we could, yeah, take a step back before we hit record here, you mentioned maybe about five and a half years. This is the best you've ever, ever felt, which is so good to hear. What happened five and a half years ago in in terms of psychosis and, and, and and what happened during that time? Yeah. So about, I want to say, so my, so about six and a half or no, five and a half years ago, almost six years ago, I, uh, well, six years ago, here we go. I had probably the worst, not the worst, but a very bad, I fell into a very bad depression for the first time in my life. And before I had just, not just, but I had experienced anxiety uh, in various capacities. And, uh, you know, leading up to the summertime when I would ultimately be kind of alone just with my family up at you know, our property up north, I uh, just started feeling really isolated as that time came about and, you know, not really having many people to talk to and support and lean on um, kind of proved to be a challenging atmosphere with working, you know, at a kitchen, pretty demanding atmosphere. Uh, so, yeah, that this the summer that I was experiencing kind of just unfolded into a bit of a depression that you know, it was quite difficult for me. And, um, yeah, over the span of the summer, you know, I just kind of kept telling myself I have to push through until I can get back to Toronto where I can get seen by a psychiatrist and then, you know, have things worked out there. But, um, you know, I eventually pushed through and made it back to, uh, Toronto and, you know, a big problem was the isolation, as I had mentioned. So getting back to a place where I had familiar friends and community ultimately was hugely helpful. But um, the fix I kind of felt from getting back uh, to my friends was it really was temporary. And it was only a matter of time until like the depressive thoughts kind of started rolling back. And uh, I found myself feeling like I was in the like trapped again. So, yeah. 
So that was the the first kind of time, because this is so interesting to me when you hear about people's experiences with some kind of mental health problem at first, it really takes you by surprise, doesn't it? it it's totally. like, there's no way you thought these kinds of emotions and feelings even existed. So it really throws us back when that happens. And it, what did you do to cope at first since this was all new? So you thought, obviously seeking help first, but the friends and community and familiarity really helped at that point? Uh, yeah. Like, well, I just think to me, like the way I see it now is like friends and community and family are just a piece of the wellness puzzle. Um, mm -hmm. Like they're just a piece of like what you have to have, not half to have, but like it's definitely beneficial to have lockdown so that you can, you know, what you're, who you're relying on when you need to, you know, who to go to in a, moment of like trouble or weakness whatever you want to call it um i don't see it as weakness it's just you know human experience it's part of it mm -hmm. so 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 depression came along as, as it unfortunately does and what what role did cannabis have at this time were you using cannabis at, at the time to, to yes yeah, so at the time i uh trying to remember back like yeah, I, I definitely was at that time. Uh, I don't know if I was necessarily using beforehand, like regularly, but as it came on, I would find relief in, you know, taking a puff or two and then, you know, going about my life. I really, the, the thing about the time is I think there are a lot of environmental factors that played into that depression for sure. Um, so I was working at a restaurant just nearby and, um, my sleep schedule was messed up. I probably wasn't eating great. Um, on top of that, I was smoking, which can just, the way I see it, it's just another variable in the equation. You know, it's another thing that makes things harder to keep track of. So, you know, I was staying up late to work these dish, dish pit, like, closing shifts on Friday, there'd be a steak and lobster at the re restaurant, go super late, there'd be drinks. And like, you know, I wouldn't get out of there until it, some nights like 3am, like when wow. all the dishes finally came through. So, you know, I was staying up late. I'd go home with my to go box of like steak and lobster. Sounds great. Get home, throw it in the microwave. Now we're, you know, it's not nearly as good anymore, but you know, then I'd sit and watch like an episode of Rick and Morty or something, go to bed, wake up and show up at work the next day. There's really not much time between the way with my sleep schedule and the way I was living. Like there wasn't much time between, you know, working and like sleeping. Like it was kind of like that was kind of my life at that right. point. Which is like a, a heavy schedule too. not a lot of a lot of downtime, you could even say for for self. reflection. Yeah. It's kind of like you had obligation to get home and then go back to work. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fairly difficult for sure. So totally. what, so cannabis, a few puffs here and there, uh, and that seemed to be, to be working. When did psychosis, a psychotic episode, wh when did that come into play? Right. So it's pretty blurry, uh, the way, the way I have experienced it, like the way I remember it and, I mean, I remember it quite clearly, but um, explaining it. So basically after that summer, I told, I mentioned that I went home to my community in Toronto and like I was around friends and then things kind of started feeling better. 
but like my goal was when I was, you know, away was I have to get back, get surrounded by friends and then get seen by someone to have this depression, like taken care of. And I was pretty like dead set on like the pharmacological, like route, you know, like taking an antidepressant or an SSRI to feel better. And, you know, like, I was just like, I think that's what I have to do. So as I said, I came home surrounded by friends and family started feeling a bit better. And then over time, things just kind of dropped back into that familiar, uh, unfortunate place of like the depressive state. And, uh, so I, I did exactly what I set out to do. I got seen by a psychiatrist and I started seeing them regularly. And, uh, I was pretty adamant. Like I was, I was goal oriented. I'd say I was like, what I need is an SSRI or what I need is like, like just some medication. I was just like, I'd been on, uh, ADHD medication since I was very young, mm-hmm. like since grade two. So I think a piece of me at the time was very, you can't really solve this problem without medication or drugs or whatever, you know, like I was just, in my own head had my belief was firm in that and like couldn't really be swayed in any nece- any direction necessarily but you know as the as it played out eventually he puts me on an ssri uh i won't mention the name because it's not necessarily helpful but um i was just put on an ssri and then because of the nature of my later known diagnosis because I mean, now, now I know I live with the diagnosis of uh, bipolar. Um, it is what it is. And yeah. So for those who don't know, like SSRIs have the tendency to awaken mania in people who have that diagnosis. Um, so that's exactly what happened. Uh, I spent kind of five nights five days taking the medication and on like the fifth day I stopped. Well, like since I started taking it, I all, I basically stopped sleeping properly. I was staying up much later. I remember just, I have memories of being awake at ridiculous hours of the night, going in and out of sleep consistently, not really um, getting probably not getting the right cycles of sleep. Um, And anyway, like going to school the whole next day, coming back, getting a bad sleep. This happened like, I believe, Tuesday to Friday, one week. And uh, by Friday, I showed up at school and was definitely in the the realm of psychosis, mania, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, people who are who experience bipolar can have these episodes totally, you know, totally organically. Or somewhat organically, but in my, the way I see the experience, it was definitely drug induced, drug induced psychosis for sure. I was, I was consuming marijuana at the time, uh, probably a bit more than I would have liked to, but I was using it for like a relief from some sort, uh, some type of just like the thoughts, like give yourself a break from the thoughts. Like I thought, what I was doing. Uh, but also at the same time, I'm taking this medication that was not making me sleep. So I'm, you know, it's kind of minus two, so to speak in the sense of like doing things that aren't really necessarily going to help. 
uh, right. longer. So yeah, Friday, Friday was full blown, like, you know, superpowers and, you know, yeah. So uh, leave that, it with that. yeah. So that high that you felt, and first of all, we need to realize that you've just fast forwarded so much time in a short space. So we do realize that like the experiences you had, and it was so such a real time. That's the thing with storytelling. Like we have to appreciate totally. how much you did go through. Right. For sure. Yeah, um, so that was, that was to give you like a time span that was like about midsummer. So around this time, you know, six years ago or whatever to about, you know, three, four months later into the school year. Like, so it'd be okay. like October or something. So what's, what's interesting is, is it, this is kind of the conversation we like to have with, with youth, because I, I liked how you said marijuana was just like, it's just another variable and it's not, yes. like, it's not so black and white. Like I took the puff and this is what happened. There was totally. the, the, the school stress, social stress, uh, the SSRI and, and all of these different things mixed with marijuana and it's hard to point fingers um so i can totally appreciate that um but but you said the the marijuana was giving you relief from from cyclical thinking and things like that at the time yeah i think it, it probably like i as i said like or i don't think i mentioned this but throughout that summer where i was feeling low yeah i had i had used here and there and i found that helpful because it would be you know at the risk of being, you know, graphic. It was like the, the two hours, like the time you'd be high would be like the two hours that you didn't like feel those, you know, super low self-esteem thoughts and like wanting to, you know, the suicidal thinking and all that stuff. So honestly, like I don't necessarily like look back on it and like wag my finger at myself because I did it. I'm like, you know, you were just trying to stay alive. Like you were just trying to like, give yourself a break in the day. But at the same time, like, is that going to be the most long-term helpful short-term relief? You, you know, like, right. Right. And I think, I think a lot of us can empathize with that for sure. And, and when you look back at these past memories, we have to think that you were really doing the best you could at the time with what you were given with, uh, which totally. was, was like right? a 17 year old or something like, yeah. Right. Uh, and, and we do know way more about marijuana now than we did back then. So and and still at this time, very little, um, you know, yeah. relatively. So it, was it mania that you experienced or was it psychosis? Did you get a, a doctor to kind of explain to you what happened? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, at the time it was labeled as psychosis NOS. So not otherwise specified because they were waiting on more information. Like I was, I would then after being popped at the other end of uh, Cam H's inpatient care. So that's what happened after. That's what happened after um, being in, you know, that Friday, I was experiencing a lot of like, you know, ungrounded thoughts and like, you know, the super high of mania, you could call it on the bipolar spectrum. But uh, yes, I, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. Um, so we, yeah, it was, so it was psychotic, <laughs> more labeled as a psychotic NOS 
episode. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, do I do I look at it as like bipolar? Or do I look at it as like psychosis or the weed? Like where where do I put the point the finger or you know what what do I look at it now as? Um, at the time, it was as I said labeled as psychosis nos, but um, you know, as time went on and I, I popped out the other end of the uh, CAMH uh, inpatient care, uh, I, I started seeing these psychiatrists who were, you know, I had that label for like probably six months, something like that. Like there wasn't much of a conclusion. Like they really took their time. because so the diagnosis isn't like willy nilly here and there, you know, it's like that's something. Personally, I find diagnosis sees like just as helpful as they are unhelpful in the sense that if you're going to look at it as like often it's easy when you first receive a diagnosis to be like whoa like i'm all of a sudden like part of this like thing you know that's kind of bigger than me and like a ton of other people have experienced it and it's like it has these like super negative effects on people's lives and it can be fatal but like what you realize over time is that these things are treatable. There are people who have bipolar who are hugely successful in life and like have overcome or at least have learned to manage their symptoms in a super productive way. And so it, it, it took a while to like gain that growth mindset kind of framing of the, the whole episode, I would say. But as time went on, you know, I had that six month period, they were like psychosis NOS and whatever. And, you know, I kind of stopped seeing those psychiatrists because I moved to go to university. I started seeing another psychiatrist. And then I, you know, for whatever reason, I stopped going to the university, I started working at a camp up north. I saw a new psychiatrist. So there's been like a long chain of uh, mental health professionals that I've gotten the opportunity to work with. But, you know, rather, I don't know. I think this is a rather unfortunate part of the story. Excuse me. Um, when I was being seen north of Toronto in like Perry Sound while I was working at a summer camp year round, uh, it was a great service. Like they picked me up from the camp because I didn't have a driver's license at the time and they would drive me to the facility and I'd get seen and they'd drive me back. And often they wouldn't even have doctors in like in the facility. So they like FaceTime me with someone, but I had to be there. So I couldn't FaceTime from the camp, you know, complicated, but either way, kind of unfortunate. I learned, I received the diagnosis. The psychiatrist like acted as if I already knew. And it kind of, they just said it offhandedly. Like it must've just fallen through the, you know, the cracks of the system because they must've assumed I knew at some point because I had four other or whatever amount of other psychiatrists like and mental health professionals take a look at me but they basically sat me down on the second or first you know video chat with this uh new psychiatrist and they said yeah we're looking at treatment options like we can't reduce medication because you know people with bipolar like you and then like in my head like everything blurs and like slows down and i'm kind of just like hold on what was that what did you say and you know, they, they kind of repeat it back to me. Yeah, people who have bipolar, like you tend to be on you know, antipsychotics or atypical, but, you know, the rest blurs off after bipolar. Like those words just kind of echoed through my head. And I was like, it kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier about like you're receiving or about like what I was saying earlier about like diagnoses, like 
being just as helpful as they are not. Cause at that point it was definitely not helpful. A, I wasn't ready to hear it. B like, I didn't know what that even meant. Like, like by yeah. more, like that's something that kills people, you know, like that's like celebrities and rock stars who like, you know, end up overdosing or whatever. Like those are people that like I had heard of that had had bipolar, you know, and like, you know, very, very difficult lives in the sense of like just struggling with your own thoughts. But you know, to get back to the question of like the diagnosis, um, when I got that, as I said, it wasn't super helpful at first, but over time I got to a point where I was like, you know, there's like, this is like the best thing in a way that could have happened because what's being happened is I'm being taken from like psychosis NOS or this like bubble, this field of like psychosis is like a symptom. So you have this symptom and like, we don't know what happens. We don't know what is going really going on there. That was my diagnosis before I kind of leveled up to a point of, and it's kind of weird language, but like I got to a point where they changed the language to bipolar and like, you know, it can be restrictive, but at the same time I was like, I went from not knowing what was going on and then just being labeled by a symptom to now like there's a whole like tons of literature and bodies of knowledge like that exists on like how to live successfully with this illness you know like mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world but like it wasn't until i started diving into that literature and like listening to these podcasts and like watching youtube videos and stuff about it that like would actually spell it out for me and show me that, you know, it's almost like a video game. Like these are just your unique stats in a video game. You know, right. like you're just a, some random customizable character that has like these stats. You just have to learn to live with the stats and like how to maximize, you know, your output from life by like, you're mitigating your symptoms and like holding on to the good feelings and, you know, trying to work through the negative ones so you know where they're coming from and stuff. Like, I think that's 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 what I have to say about that. That's beautiful. So it's it's a it's a diagnosis. Is I, I love that it's helpful, but then not helpful at the same time. And you you kind of take what you can from that. But I I can I can uh, empathize with that as I had a similar experience of you're kind of thrown off when you're given that especially that I think there was a mix up, as you said, so they kind of said it with any preparation. So I'm really interested in what you're, what you're doing now, the strategies that you've created for yourself. You said you're, you're better now than ever living with, with bipolar disorder, having gone through this, we'll, we'll just call it uh, an event, a human event that happened a while ago. Right. What are you doing now to, to stay healthy, to stay mentally and physically fit? Yeah. So I mentioned like, I'm feeling, as you said, like I'm feeling the best I have and like since the event, so to speak. Um, and that's, that's a lot to say like that, that really like, I, I, there's not, there are words that I could say that make me happier, you know, like I went through this event, it radically changed my life changed the way I live my life every single day. And I just like, it's like 
six years later, man, like six hard, like not even necessarily hard the whole time, but you know, ups and downs six years later, I call it the recipe. I found the recipe, my recipe. It's different for everyone. I think, but like, I think it's really been like this peak that I'm feeling now has only really come on in the past month. And I've started what I'm doing differently in this past, like over the past two months that have made me feel this way is, you know, I've, I have a pretty, I wouldn't say strict. It's actually pretty lax, but I have like minimum like fitness requirements for each day that I have to fulfill. Just because like, I mean, it's a, I think it's one of the best ways you can actively aff, like affect, affect your like mood. It's by like just being active. And so I'm, you know, I'm working out like doing certain things and then I'm eating well and sleeping well. Like it's like, those are my three like pillars of, you know, feeling good. I mean, social connection is another one. And like, you know, being able to tell people how you really feel and get stuff off your chest. So it doesn't feel too burdening and whatnot. Like, like it's all important, but my big thing I've learned, I don't even rely on that as much as I thought I did. Hmm. Like I used to think I needed someone to like get stuff off my chest. And I needed like friends close by and present to like, you know, check in on me every so often. Yeah, that's important. And if you have it, great, use it. But like in my position, like what I'm doing is I, I don't know. Okay. So it's, it's kind of quarantine related. It's coronavirus assisted plan. I was like, I got back to Ontario from BC where I was doing courses online because my school had shut down and I was like, okay, I'm now back in the city. Like Toronto is kind of coronavirus crazy. Like I don't have, I can't really go out and do anything. So I'm really going to have to dial in my health because I can't rely on my, my community as much anymore because I can't even get there. So I was like, all right, like, let's find some online fitness subscription to subscribe to. And like, you know, so I get like workouts on my phone. I, I do like, I think it's called high intensity interval training. Like those are still like four of those a week. And then on top of that, I have, I have access to like open, like fresh water and I've just been swimming daily. So I do four times a week, some hit training. And then I do daily swims. You know, I don't even know how far I'm going anymore. I'm just like trying to go further each time at this point. Um, and then I'm eat, like I'm following a meal plan as well, just to, you know, dial it all in. So that's, that's my current, you know, self-care. I got, Yeah, as I said, the recipe, you know, the recipe for a good day, the recipe for good mood. I think it sounds, it sounds very, and not to discount it, but it's, it's simple. Right. It's, oh. and let's, let's not complicate it. Let's have these three basic human needs. Let's do them. I think it's the consistency that people find difficult to do that fitness every day, to do the healthy eating every day without question, and then sleep. What, what keeps those habits in check? Because we, we talked about before we hit record, we were talking about accountability. How, how totally. do you keep yourself accountable? Well, 
<laughs> yeah, like, I mean, why do I do it every day? Like, it's, I'm six years in. I'm like, you, you mentioned it's simple. Like, it almost sounds like condescendingly simple, you know? It's like, you've been told these things all your life. Like, <laughs> I went through a rebellious, I went through a rebellious teenager stage where I was like, screw it like I want to do what I want like I want to like go out have fun like see my friends like smoke up drink every once in a while like you know like do that kind of thing but somewhere amidst all that stuff the like very fundamental basic principles of like just eating well sleeping well working out like kind of slipped my mind you know it's it's almost like we it's so simple that we need to constantly be reminded of these things. Mm. It's so simple that like, you can just forget it. Cause it's like, you know, whatever is I eat anyway. What difference does it make to eat? Well, i move every day in some capacity. Like I commute or I walk or I, whatever, like who, why do I have to sweat necessarily? And then, you know, sleep is sleep. Like it's kind of the last priority. Like whatever time between when I get to bed and wake up is kind of what I, I'm going to take what I can get. But, you know, you got to be, it's your own life. You got to know where to make the demands, you know, like the, the joy I feel now from simply eating well, simply sweating once a day and then getting decent sleep at least eight hours or, you know, it's different for each person, but you know, mine is at least eight hours makes me feel better than I'd feel when I'm like out having a drink with my friends. Like, you know, like, Right. It's just those fundamental things. Like they go such a long way and like, you can listen to people preach about it all you want, but you won't know until you've experienced it yourself. Like the joy you feel from simply catering to your very basic human needs. Like the thing you'll realize once you've finished that is like, you've catered to your basic needs. You don't really need to do it much else. Like that's it. Ah, and that's a beautiful feeling in itself to know that you took care of those needs. It's almost like the biggest checkbox ever. And we get that all mean hit, which is why the to-do so, uh, to lists are so popular because it feels good when you cross it off. And what I do even sometimes, if I do something extra, I'll still put it on the to-do list, write it out just so I can cross something else off. And totally. when you have these, these, these basic needs, simple, simple to say, uh, again, I uh, definitely harder in practice, right? And yeah. educating yourself, uh, you know, personally, okay, what diet works for my body? What exercise do I enjoy? That's also challenging me and increasing my heart rate. Um, you know, what the best time for me to sleep is, what's the hour that I need? Um, simple in, 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 you know, knowing these needs, but it took you, how, did it take you a while to figure out this recipe? of 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 these three things yeah i mean you know i feel like didn't necessarily like as i said six years like this is the best i've felt in six years so in in that sense totally took me a while like I, i'm not going to discredit the journey there like it took a while i'm really stoked on where i am and you know, I had to work to get here. Like we talk about mental health. I mean, people talk about mental health as a fight, but you really have to choose the fight. You know, mm -hmm. 
as I said, it's those are your three things. Like that's the fight. You get good sleep, you know, work out, sweat a bit, and eat well. That's fighting the fight. Like you wake up and it's like, oh, I'm kind of bored. Like I don't have the energy to cook a full meal. Like that's the fight. That's the first, like you wake up in the morning. The first thing you have to do is like tell yourself, I'm going to give myself the fuel, the food that's going to give me the energy to get the next release I need, which is the fitness. Because, you know, well, there's, you know, as you say, you said the list gives you dopamine, you know, taking things off your list, like naturally just gives you that release that short release of dopamine but you know there are tons of other like receptors in the brain that like fire off when you're like working out or you're getting like you know just good food and like good sleep like all those things are just like producing the like just what we need to get through the day so i love that i see it i see it as like when we talk about the fight of mental health like it's that's it. It's the whole picture. I honestly, like I, I couldn't, it may, I make it seem kind of simple from this place I'm speaking from, but I'm honestly in a very privileged position to be where I am right now. And like, as I say, best in six years, I have intentionally taken this time to step back from kind of my life of responsibility and like things I need to do to say, the time I'm investing right now is more important than any given task I'll accomplish. I've put like all tasks on hold to get eating, sleeping, fitness in line. It's my number one priority right now. And I've given myself this summer to do it so that I can build the habits, put them into my day and get that dialed in before I add the stressors of like school or work or like, you know, all that stuff. Because honestly, for people with a profile like mine, like bipolar and, you know, uh, a big piece of when I had that, that episode or how we framed at the event, uh, was like paranoia was like one of the first warning signs that came on that I kind of ignored. I just kind of like let take control of my life by doing these things and like getting these three, you know, pillars of my life. I like to say like in check, I'm like pushing like increasing the distance between me and my first warning sign the way I like to see it. I, 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 I really appreciate that. I love that. Um, and, and I just like to, to end this off by asking you, you, the, the microphone's yours. If someone has maybe just gone through a, a state of mania for the first time or someone experiencing you know, maybe they just received a bipolar diagnosis or just just experienced a psychotic episode. Um, if they're listening right now, what, what would you like to what would you like to say to that person? Yeah, that's tough because there's so much. There's so many things like I wish I could hear when I was in that place. Like, it's hard to just sum it up in one thing, but, you know, I'll do my best. Um, My first mistake, I will say, was keeping to myself when things were bad and low. And even when they went high, like, I kept to myself and, like, you know, I was just never suffer in silence, first of all. And second of all, 
you know, suicidal thinking is a symptom of depression and that's very real. But with that being said, if you ever experience suicidal thinking, it is exactly that a symptom of depression and which is a mental illness, which means you're not doing the thinking anymore. Something else, however you want to think about it, something else has taken the wheel and you're not in control anymore in a sense, in, in terms of your thinking. And so whenever you like, whenever you think that way or have a feeling that's like that, first of all, tell someone, second of all, identify it as depressive thinking. It's not yourself. It's not your own thoughts. It's something else in there taking the wheel. The real you is in there somewhere and, you know, wants their real life back and you can fight to bring it back for them. So. I appreciate that. That's very strong and, and empowering words, Harrison. And everyone everyone watching, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Harrison, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and, and what's been helping you. And I'm so glad to see you doing well. It's amazing. Everyone, this and psychosis.ca, we will see you there. Sign up to the newsletter. Make sure you stay informed. And we'll talk to you soon.